0: Music with Message on WorldwideKFUO.org, AM 850 here in the St. Louis region. This is the Midday Moments program. I'm Gary Duncan. It's great to be here, and it's time now for our moment on the lighter side on this Monday afternoon. And today we welcome back St. Peter of St. Peter's Hook and Crook. Last month we have been uh, in detailed discussion about the Gospel of John chapter 21. That's the chapter where Jesus restores Peter to apostleship. And I just have one more thing to say as we begin, Peter. Are you finally going to answer my questions about this account or or not?
1: Well, well, Gary, I'm sorry I, I delayed these last few weeks. But I promise to answer all your questions because, sadly, we must bring this interview to a close.
0: I don't suppose that it has anything to do with the fact that this is the last week you're offering the two-for-one sheep dipping special that you've been
1: plugging every time we get together. Is that why you're ending it? Well, it is true that we don't have anything to advertise in the immediate future, uh, but it's also because uh, the missus and I are we are getting ready to travel to the Great North. There, Gary.
0: Oh, okay, so uh, no more uh, chip and dip. What is it? Chip
1: dip? No, that sheep dip. Sheep, sheep dip.
0: dip. Oh, the sour cream and onion is my favorite. Oh, no, wait a minute, no, that's no, no, chip dip. No, okay.
1: No, <laughs> no, you can't substitute. You have to use your special dip. Oh, anyway, no, we're leaving to go up north. Okay. That's where we're
0: heading. Well, I forgot this potato salad harvest time in Minnesota, isn't it?
1: That's exactly right.
0: <laughs> so you, <laughs> you you just harvest the potato salad right up there, not the potatoes? But,
1: but, well, of course. You've never lived up north, apparently. <laughs> and, you know, you know, we'll be offering for a limited time our two-for-one potato salad special. Well, there you but, go. But that'll be so- sometime later. Uh, and, you know, we better get started if, if we want to get all your questions answered.
0: Well, let's do that. So my first question is that In John's account of that day, you were restored. He notes that 153 fish were caught by the other apostles on the Sea of Galilee. Is there anything symbolic about the 153 fish?
1: Now, when you say if there's anything symbolic of the 153 fish, I suppose you're comparing this uh, to the second book John wrote, uh, the book of Revelation, which is filled with all kinds of symbols.
0: That's correct. Revelation has all kinds of symbolic numbers, like the uh, 1,000 year reign of Christ and the 144,000 people that stand on Mount Zion. Uh,
1: And the book is also filled with many other symbolic images, like the great beast and and the four horsemen. Even Jesus himself appears symbolically in the book of Revelation, pictured as the Lamb who is slain and yet remains standing.
0: Which is fairly easy symbol to figure out. After all, the Baptist Called Jesus the Lamb of God, Jesus was the one who died and lived, was slain, and yet was still standing.
1: A lot of the other symbols in Revelation are fairly obvious as well, although many of them remain a dark mystery, well, even to me.
0: So, what are some of the obvious symbols?
1: Well, I think the numbers you mentioned are, are pretty obvious.
0: Uh, how so? What's obvious about the number 1000, for instance?
1: Well, if you know anything about math, you know, the base factor of 1,000 is the number 10. Pretty impressive there, the base factor, huh? Mm,
0: yeah. That math wasn't really my strong suit, though. But even I do know that 1,000 is 10
1: times 10 times 10. Uh, 10, cubed, 10 cubed, as the mathematicians say, yes. And 10, if you read the Bible, is a number for completion. When you've got 10 of something, you've got the complete set. Oh, for instance, how many commandments are there?
0: There's ten, of course.
1: Well, and curiously, the Bible never takes the time to number them. Jews, Catholics, Protestants, all number them differently. But it doesn't really matter for however they're numbered. We've all got the same ten commandments. We've got the complete number of them, the number ten.
0: So why is Christ's reign called a thousand-year or a ten-cube reign?
1: Well, because a thousand, then, is the number for total and absolute completion. It's not just 10, but as you said, 10 by 10 by 10. It symbolizes the complete and total reign of Christ, lack of nothing. I'm not sure why so many want to make that number out to be a literal thousand-year reign. As we said, everything else in Revelation is symbolic. Why would the numbers be any different?
0: If it's not a literal thousand-year reign, what reign of Jesus is being talked about?
1: Well, I suppose if we concede Revelation is a book of symbols, there might be some honest argument about that issue. Uh, My personal opinion is that the so-called millennium, or or thousand years, refer to Jesus' reign right here and now. I mean, after all, he is reigning overall, sitting at the right hand of God, and when he returns at the end, that will certainly be a thing of absolute and total completion, as the nations will be gathered before him to be assigned for their eternal destinations.
0: But what about the number 144,000? What does that symbolize?
1: Well, I think as well, the answer is based on the significance of the number 10 as the number of completion. Uh, for starters, in 144,000, you have the number 1,000, the Cuba 10.
0: A number that signifies absolute and total completion.
1: Only this time, the 1,000 is multiplied by 144. Uh, how, now, now, do you know, Gary, the significance of the number 144?
0: Mm, I don't know the, its theological significance, but I know its mathematical significance is the square of number 12. 12 times 12 equals 144.
1: Oh, okay. I, I think you're on to something here, Gary. And, and where have you heard the number of 12 before in the Bible?
0: Well, there was 12
1: tribes in the Old Testament. Right. And, and I was one of the 12 apostles in the New Testament. Oh, okay. I think I get it. The number 144,000
0: symbolizes all the believers in both the Old and New Testament. 12 for the Old times 12 for the New equals 144. Then multiply
1: that number by the number of absolute completion, 1,000, and you get... 144,000! That's what you get. I didn't want to leave you having to do the math there. I know you're not a math guy. (laughs) But you're right, Gary, exactly. Gathered there with Jesus on Mount Zion will be the complete total number of those whom God has saved, symbolically represented by the number 144,000. You know, he uses a symbolic number because the actual number, John tells us elsewhere, can't be counted.
0: I know the verse you're talking about, John wrote, This I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation for all tribes of people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I wonder if that's why John uses the symbolic number 1,000 for Jesus' reign as well. The Bible tells us no one knows the exact length of Jesus' reign either.
1: Uh, you know, I think you've got a point there. You're, you're right. As the Bible says, no one knows the day or hour of Jesus' return.
0: Okay, but let's get back to my original question. What are the symbolic meaning of 153 in the Gospel of John?
1: Well, let me ask you, Gary, what is the symbol? Now think about this. What is the symbol for Jesus there in John chapter 21?
0: Well, John doesn't symbolize him. He's just there. He's on the seashore. It's just Jesus. John says, you all knew it was him, but you didn't dare ask who it was.
1: Okay, all right. So no symbol for Jesus. Oh, and how did John in chapter 21 symbolize me and the rest of the disciples in that account?
0: Well, again, there is no symbolism. It's just you and the rest of the apostles.
1: And so the true meaning, a drum roll would be good here, Gary. So the true meaning of the number 153 is that we caught 153 fish. (laughs) It's not rocket science, Gary. When you read a book that's filled with symbols, you can expect most everything to be symbolic but when you read a factual story like we've been talking about you can expect most everything to just be facts
0: but why would john bother to record such a specific detail like 153 fish
1: well you're obviously not much of a fisherman like like john and i were (laughs) trust me a fisherman always keeps track of what fish he catches including the weight and length of the greatest after all, you never know when the game warden is going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> On that day, with such a miraculous catch, we wanted to know just exactly how many fish had filled our boat. And the factual total was 153. And let me add this, Gary. I'm glad that it is a real story John recorded in chapter 21 and not some symbolic account.
0: And why is that, Peter?
1: Because my sin had been very real. I didn't symbolically curse and swear that I never knew Jesus. My denial was very real. Likewise, I didn't need some symbolic forgiveness from Jesus, but the real thing. You know, that's what I really like about the church today. What do you mean? Well, because real forgiveness is what the church offers right here and now. Take baptism, for example. Now, now I know, I know, Gary, there is symbolism that goes along with the use of water But the baptism itself is a very real thing. As I wrote in my own letter, baptism does not save you. And as the book of Acts assures us, rise up and be baptized, and have your sins washed away.
0: Jesus himself said that who believes and is baptized will be saved.
1: And it's the same way with the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus' very specific words are, This is my body given and my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. That's not a symbolic forgiveness, but a very real forgiveness. Why Jesus said to us that first Easter, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. The church offers not just a symbol of forgiveness, but the real thing.
0: Jesus said, whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. But that reminds me of my second question. Why did Jesus just do that to you on that day? He restored you. Why didn't he just simply say, Peter, I forgive you? As you said, that was uh, what you needed, a very real and concrete forgiveness. It seems to me that all this talk about feeding his lambs and tending his flock, it's kind of a beating around the bush. Why didn't he just out and say to you, I forgive you?
1: But I think that's pretty obvious, Gary. I mean, what would have happened the moment Jesus left us if he had simply said, I forgive you, Peter?
0: I suppose all the rest of the apostles would have come up and asked what Jesus was forgiving you for.
1: Exactly, Gary. Uh, Jesus was exercising a principle we should all follow, that, that secret sins should be kept secret. It is why every pastor vows that whatever sins are revealed to him in private confession, he will keep secret even unto death.
0: You know, it's a shame, Peter, that Jesus didn't give you a private confession that day that instead he dealt with you publicly in front of the rest of the apostles.
1: You know Gary (laughs) a private confession was what I was looking for (laughs) why do you think I raced John to the tomb that first Easter morning why do you think I jumped off the boat and swam to shore on the day we've been talking about. I had hoped to have a private conversation with Jesus so you know we could just sweep my sin under the rug as it were no one needed to know of my denials. But, but I realize now, as I hope you've come to know, Jesus' plans were better than mine. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, because my sin was not a secret thing. Not true, no one else had witnessed my three denials. But remember, Gary, Jesus had predicted my failure, the night he was to die. In response to my boasting, he had specifically said, Oh, Peter, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. Surely, some day one of my fellow disciples would ask me if that prediction had come true. Thanks to Jesus, I could now publicly acknowledge that it had. For if there were any question about my apostleship, my authority in the church, why Jesus had definitively answered that when he said to me, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. Uh, the whole body of disciples knew by Jesus' own words, whatever sin I may have committed, Christ had restored me in full.
0: But, Peter, still it would have been nice if you could have had a private absolution from Jesus to hear him speak those words of forgiveness to you personally.
1: And he did give me that time of private confession and absolution.
0: He did? I don't remember anything about that in the Bible.
1: Well, read what the Apostle Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15.
0: Okay. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received— that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Appeared to Cephas? Isn't that your name in Aramaic? I, I forgot. Paul does mention Jesus appeared to you personally. However, there's no record of the event elsewhere in Scripture. So tell us all about that private appearance, Peter.
1: Well, if I really were the apostle, Peter, I would tell you. But since I'm just a lowly actor doing a poor Galilean accent, it will forever remain a mystery. But there is one thing that isn't a mystery. And
0: what's that, you poor actor, Peter? <laughs> miserable <laughs> well, actor.
1: <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> emphasize that. Should I say wait, wait, there? <laughs> <miserable> <laughs> yeah, "sinner" there? Miserable sinner. Yeah, well, that 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 applies to us all, doesn't it? Uh, yes. But but let me tell you, this is the, there's no mystery that Jesus Christ continues to offer his followers real, concrete forgiveness, you and me included, every time that two or more of them are gathered together. And it's also no mystery, who will be your guest next week?
0: And who might that be?
1: Well, as I said, I'll be gone, but I'm leaving you the phone number of one called... The Bible History Answer Man. Hmm. Uh, He has some memory issues, but I think you'll find him as an interesting guest. Oh, and there is one final thing that should never be a mystery.
0: Uh, I'm afraid to ask, but what's that, Peter?
1: (laughs) This is the final week for our two-for-one sheep dipping special. So if you haven't done it yet, you better get down in the next few days. (laughs)
0: There you go, plugging your sheep dip, and not to be confused with your special chip dip. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute, that's my special chip dip, the onion stuff. That's your special dip And you've got the potato (laughs) salad coming up soon. Anyway, uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to what might turn out to be a wild uh, interview next week, the Bible Answer Man that has memory issues. Okay, have a safe trip, and we look forward to talking to you again when you return. We are the messenger of good news, AM 850, KFUO in the St. Louis region. We are worldwide at KFUO.org or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KFUO Radio.